Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I am not a particularly patient person. If there's one thing I hate, I hate to wait. Um, I, I will put off calling tech support because I don't want to spend the next 10 minutes listening to Barry Manilow, okay? I just, in fact, I... I after last night's service, after Saturday night's service, I went home. We had our grandkids this weekend and um, got home, and we were watching um, Frozen, of course, because grandkids, that's what they want to watch. So we're watching Frozen, recording we had of Frozen, and right in the middle of Frozen, it froze. <laughs> and, and, and I just, I knew it just, it just stopped, and then it said, there was a little dialogue box came up, we've lost connection, it was like that, and I, and I tried everything I could. I did the reset button. I did, you know, I tried everything I could. I tried everything I could possibly think of. If nothing was working, all I would get would be that blue screen and the little spinning thing in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. And finally, I put it off as long as I could. I called tech support. And I won't tell you who our TV provider is, but its initials are U-verse. And, uh, and sure enough, I got called, you know, and I go through their whole phone tree, and I'm trying, you know, try this. I already tried that. You know, I'm going to try that. You know, it's, 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 you're talking to a machine, okay? And finally, I just went, technician, technician, technician. And actually, it moved me to a whole different section, and it said, uh, the wait time is approximately eight minutes, which turned out to be 10. Um, and it was, just a, it was just an ongoing thing. I think, you know, it's like God was saying to me, okay, now you're going to practice what you preach. And so today we're talking about patience. <laughs> we're going to be talking about waiting, and we're actually wrapping up this whole series through the book of James. And it's been a great, great series because James is all about practical faith. It's all about taking what you say you believe or what you think you believe and, and making it what you truly believe by, by your actions and by your behavior. And that's what this whole series has been about. And we're at the very end, and it's a, it's a lot in there. In seven weeks, we've barely scratched the surface of all that there is in James' letter. But we're coming to the end, and it's chapter 5, and it's, it really is almost James coming all full circle. Because you might remember way back seven weeks ago, in, in the first chapter, he talked about this idea of trials and temptations and, and how they work in your life. And now... It's like after he's gone through all these different aspects of your life, your finances, your family, your, your relationships, your, all of these things, he says, now, if there's one thing I want to leave you with, it's going to be this whole thing about waiting. And, and, and it's kind of bringing full circle what, he's taught, what he started with. It's almost like he's saying, okay, now I've given you all of this stuff, but I understand now as you move forward with your lives, as you move forward into this journey of faith, here's one of the things that you need to know. And it has to do with this idea of waiting. And some of you, you might find yourself in life's waiting room. You might find yourself on hold, as it were, in your life right now. Maybe you're just graduating from college. You've sent out your resume. You know, you've, you've, you've filled out applications and you have no real job prospects lined up and you're kind of wondering what's next. And it's kind of like life is on hold. Or, or maybe, maybe it's a, a young family. You're trying to buy your first home and you, you just when you think you have enough saved up for that down payment and now the market has shifted and you're priced right out of it all over again and you're still on hold. Or maybe it's a young couple trying to find, trying to have their first, start a family, have their first child, and month after month it's met with disappointment. Not this month. And you just kind of wonder, what's next? Is it ever going to change? Or maybe something maybe a little more, a little more drastic than that. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis that you received, and maybe it's not life-threatening, but it's chronic and it's debilitating, and it's going to be with you now, as the doctor says, for the rest of your life, and you wonder... Is it ever going to change? Or you have a son or a daughter, 
family member who's making really poor choices right now and you can do nothing to change it it is beyond you and you're wondering will it ever get better is it ever going to change see being on hold that's like a one or a two on a scale of a hundred in life's pains okay when you find yourself in life's waiting room when you find like your life is kind of put on hold particularly if it's a difficult situation you wonder god what do you do? In fact, those are the questions that we ask. God, are you there? God, what did I do to deserve this? Are you punishing me for something? God, don't you care? And those are the questions that James answers in this next session that we're going to look at. And we're wrapping up this book, and it's in chapter 5. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or uh, your tablet or smartphone, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. These are the words that he writes. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them. And anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, when it comes to times of waiting, and it seems like life is put on hold. That, I think, is the time that is most challenging to our faith. And those questions that we ask, God, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? God, don't you care what's going on? Those are the natural questions that we have, particularly in those times of waiting, particularly when it's difficult times of waiting. And, and the seeds of this talk today is kind of comes from a a talk I heard not long ago by Andy Stanley, kind of something mentioned just in passing, but it just resonated, and it just speaks to exactly what those questions are. And so I want to give you today some of the things that you need to know, some really important things you need to know about God, because that's really what it comes down to, is what do I believe about God in the middle of all of this? And this is what James says. Here's some things that you need to know. The first thing you need to know about God is God is not absent. He is not absent absent that goes to the question god where are you james says this he says be patient then brothers until the lord's coming it's speaking to those who feel like my circumstances are never going to change they may not be particularly difficult circumstances you just feel like you're stuck and you're wondering will things ever get any better is this just the way it's going to be is this the new normal 
Today, we're, this afternoon, we're, we're going to be celebrating groundbreaking on our new facility, expansion of our facilities up here. But I got to tell you, for about the first 14 or 15 years, we didn't have a home, a church home. We didn't have a building. We started in my living room. We moved to the old post office downtown. We rented warehouse space. And for the first 14, 15 years of this church, I kept saying, God, when are we going to get a building? God, why can't we have a building? First Baptist has a building. The Presbyterian church, they got a building. Why can't we have a building? And I get one, God, why can't we have a permanent home for our church family? And then God provided this property, 20 acres of land, something far beyond my imagination, 20 acres of land as a donation. God provided. For 15 years, I kept saying, God, when is this ever going to change? God, when are you going to give us a building? God gave us more than I could possibly have asked for. And sometimes you find yourself in that way and you think it's never going to change. God, where are you? He's working. He's working behind the scenes in ways that you don't see. In fact, that's what he does. He goes on. He says, listen, see how this farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Now, he is talking about something that they would very much understand because they lived in an agrarian society, an agrarian culture. They were very close to the land, not like us. For us, when we think of dinner, it could be something as simple as go to the refrigerator, take the box, stick it in the microwave, hit 3.5 minutes, and you got dinner, okay? It's like dinner in less than five minutes, okay? That's what we think for people in, in James' time, they know dinner is like a year-long process. And it starts with the farmer. And that's what he's referring to. He says he needs both the autumn and the spring rains. Now, those are very, very specific things. Because the autumn rains, that was the beginning of the planting season. It was the autumn rains that softened the soil so it could be plowed and be planted. It was the autumn rains that provided the moisture for the seed to germinate. And then in the spring rains, it began to shoot up through the surface and began to grow and mature so it could be harvested. And that providing food on the table, that was a year-long process. And here's the thing. Between the autumn rains and the spring rains, the winter, nothing happened. Nothing on the surface. Everything is going on below the surface. And James uses that as an example of of, of patience because he's saying, I want you to understand that that the, the farmer, he does his work, but he is dependent on God. God is the one who provides the autumn rains. God is the one who provides the spring rains. And God is the one who is at work in the germination process when it looks like nothing is happening on the surface at all. It is in the face of whatever you are, you're facing right now, in the middle of whatever you're going through, when it seems like everything is on hold and you don't see anything changing at all, understand something. God is at work. God is at work. You don't see it. It's all beneath the surface. But God is at work. Ben Patterson said, as important as the things that we wait for is the work that God does in us while we are waiting. And that's what James is referring to. Saying, be patient. The word he uses there, if you have a King James Bible, which I don't know if anybody has any of those anymore, but, but the word is used is long-suffering. 
And that's kind of an odd word. That's why we don't use it anymore. But it's really a more literal translation of the Greek. So I'm going to give you a little bit of Greek. I'm going to show off my four years of college, okay? The, the, the original Greek word actually means uh, to be long passioned. The word is macrothumeo. And it's a two-part word. Macro means long. And thumeo means um, passion. And, and what, what he's saying is, is this, don't lose your passion over the long haul. Don't give up. That's what patience is. That, that's why the King James long suffering. That's what it says. Stay with it. Don't lose your passion. Don't give up faith. Stay with it over the long haul. Because that's what patience is. Every life has its seasons. You might find yourself in the autumn rains. You might find yourself in the spring rains, you might find yourself right now in the dead of winter. And what James is saying is be patient. God's at work. Something's going on below the surface here. Just wait. Wait patiently. Now, the other part about that is farmer didn't just plant seed and then just wait and hope for something to happen. Yes, he was dependent on God to provide the spring rains and the autumn rains, but he also did work while he could. There's weeding to be done. There's cultivating. There's fertilizing. There's all these other things to be done. And I think what James is saying is you do what you can for now when you're in this waiting time. You do what you can for now, but ultimately realize you've got to, you're going to have to wait on God. God's going to have to do his work in this as well. And so he goes on and he says, so you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now again, for his readers... Okay, this, James wrote this somewhere around 60, 62, 63 A.D. And, and most, of his, most of his audience, they, they were there. Most of them, some of them saw Jesus ascend into heaven. They were waiting for the imminent return of Jesus. And now it's been about 25 to 30 years later, and they're probably thinking, is he ever going to come back? Is thinking, Any, anything ever going to change? Is this really worthwhile? And here we are 2,000 years later. Maybe you have those questions. Is this, really, is this really for real? Is this really worthwhile? Is anything ever going to change? And James says, yes. Yes, always live with the understanding that at any moment, Christ could return and everything will be made right. God is not absent. Second thing when you're in life's waiting room is understand God is not angry. See, waiting is hard enough. But it's particularly hard when you're going through a time of difficulty. And again, one of the questions we ask is, what did I do to deserve this? I don't know how many times I've been asked that question as a pastor. What did I do wrong? Is God punishing me? And James speaks to that. He says, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He's saying, listen, suffering is not always because God is punishing. Suffering is not because God is angry with you. Look at the prophets. They were the only ones who stood up. They were the only righteous ones. They stood up for God in the, against the tide of a culture that was anti-God, that was in rebellion and sin against God. They were the ones who stood up to that, and they suffered for it. Not because God was angry with them, but because they were standing for him. And that there was a redemptive side to suffering. There was a redemptive side to waiting. He uses another example of that. He uses Job. He says, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now, he uses a different word. The first word he used was patience, the long-suffering word. This word he uses is hupomeno. 
And it literally means, hupo means under, and meno means to remain. And it's the idea of outlasting. It's the idea of perseverance and endurance and, and hanging tough when it gets tough. And he says, listen, look at the prophets. Look at Job. They are examples of that. Now, most of us know the story of Job. You may not know the whole story of Job, but pretty much Job's name is synonymous with suffering. And, the, and most of us, we don't know why. But really, if you read the first chapter of Job, all of it came about because God was bragging about Job. Job, God bragged to Satan. He said, have you seen my servant Job? There is no one like him in all the earth. There is no one who is upright like him, who maintains his integrity. And, 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 and Satan said, well, sure, yeah, you Blessed his life. Everything's going good for him. It's easy for him to be, you know, stand up for God and be righteous when everything's working out for him. Take away all that stuff from him, and then we'll see how he stands up to it. God said, okay, give you permission to do that. Just do not take his life. And the rest of the book of Job is Job trying to figure out why is this happening to him. And he's got three friends who come alongside, and they come with all the pat answers. And the pat answer is, well, sin equals suffering. If you're suffering, you must have sinned. It's as simple as that, Job. If you would just confess your sin, everything would be better. And Job says, but I haven't done anything. I haven't sinned. I've, I maintain my innocence. And they argue with him for like 40 chapters. They just keep arguing with him, trying to convince him what a sinful person he is. In fact, they say, you don't know the half of your sin. You have sinned. You're the most sinful person we know. You know, just piling it on, piling it on, piling it on. But he says, if I had sinned, I would admit it. If there was something I could confess, I would confess it. But I have nothing to confess. And he doesn't understand it. And all the pat answers that, well, God's angry with you. God's punishing you. You must have sinned are not the right answer. And finally, God shows up and God does speak into the situation. First thing he says is to his friends, you haven't spoken the truth about me like my servant Job. He stands up for Job. But then he speaks to Job. And he kind of puts him in his place. He says, listen, Job, where were you when I created? Do you know about the rhinoceros? Do you know about Leviathan? Do you know about the ostrich, who's the silly bird who sticks his head in the sand when his enemies approach? He says, I do. And part of it, he's kind of putting Job in his place, saying, how dare you question me? But the other part of it is he's saying, listen, I am intimately involved in my creation. I know everything that goes on in this creation. I am in intimately involved, and I'm intimately involved with you. And it's the reminder to us that it is God who meets us in our brokenness. It's what we celebrated together when we shared in communion. That God comes to us and we say, God, where are you? I'm right here with you. He meets us in our brokenness and in our pain. His story is a story of redemptive suffering. And what happens at the end of the story is Job says things like, I spoke of things too wonderful for me. I didn't understand. I spoke out of turn. But then he says something that's incredibly profound. This man who God had bragged about, there was no one like him in all the earth. No one in all the earth had a relationship with God like Job had. And Job says of his relationship with God before, it was like I had heard of you through rumor. Now I have seen you. And there is something that happens through that suffering process that deepened his faith, deepened his relationship with God, so much so that he said, whatever I had before this time with you, that was just like hearing of a rumor. 
What I really have now is a relationship with you. I call it square one faith. And I've been there many times in my own life. And it comes down to this. Knowing what I do know about God, can I trust him for the things that I don't? And you might find yourself at that point today. And you're wondering, God, are you angry with me? What did I do to deserve this? And it doesn't make sense. And you're wondering what God is doing. You're wondering what's going on. And I just want to encourage you with the words, knowing what you do know about him, can you trust him for what you don't? And what James tells us is actually the very same thing that Job said. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Full of compassion and mercy. He is at work, and you can trust him. And then the last thing is what you need to know about God when you find yourself in life's waiting room is God is not apathetic. And that goes to the question, God, don't you care? And James answers it. He said, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. What he's saying is God welcomes us to come to him in prayer. In prayer, what we are doing is we are inviting God into the midst of our situation. We are opening ourselves up and we're saying, God, this is beyond me. I need you. And in reality, what's really happening in prayer is God is actually inviting us to participate in what he is doing in this world or in our lives. That we think that prayer is our idea, but it really is God's idea. And sometimes it takes circumstances to move us to the point where we realize how dependent we truly are on him. And what he does is he gives us the privilege and welcomes us to ask to join him in what he is doing. Prayer is a very, very big, big part of waiting. So he says, pray. And, and if it's something beyond you, then invite others, leaders, elders, people with greater faith, peer, people with greater wisdom to come alongside you and let them pray for you. But pray. See, in prayer, what I am essentially doing is I am recognizing I'm not in control. And God, I need your help. It's actually something we talked about last week. In fact, I actually had you repeat something along with me last week and see how well you remember, how much you remember from last week. The saying went like this. There is a God and... Oh, you forgot in a week? Okay. I'm going to assume that some of you were not here last week. So we're going to go. It goes like this. There is a God. Okay. Let me try this. Are you awake? Are you awake here? Okay, let's try this one more time. There is a God. And it is not me. All right. One more time. There is a God. And it is not me. And that is, in essence, what we're saying in prayer. God, this is beyond me. See, prayer is an act of humility. Prayer is an act of release and in inviting God into the situation and entrusting it into his hands. He says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, which, of course, raises the question, why isn't everybody who's prayed for healed? 
Why aren't all prayers answered? Because we tend to think of prayer as if it was a laboratory experiment. You mix the two chemicals together, you get a reaction. If you mix the two chemicals together and you don't get the reaction, the experiment failed. And we think of prayer that way, that if I say the right words, if I do it the right way, if I throw in a little King James English, maybe God will answer the prayer. And if I don't get the prayer, maybe I prayed it wrong, or maybe I didn't pray long enough, or I didn't pray hard enough, or whatever it is. And I think the answer, really the answer to the question is that last part of that sentence, the Lord will raise him up. In other words, there is a God, and it is not me. It is in God's hands. It is in God's hands. I would like it to be answered the way I want it to be answered. I would like an instant reply. I would like to be able to just do it like a vending machine and put the coin and push the button and get the response that I want. But there's a God and it is not me. And in prayer, really what I'm learning to do is let go. So let go. And to say, this is beyond me. And I can't control it. And God, I'm just going to put it into your hands. And in your way and in your timing, I'm going to trust in you. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So God invites us to come to him in our struggles, in our hurts, in our pain, in our suffering, in our waiting, and to ask. And we don't always get the answer we're looking for. Very often, what we find is what he answers is far better than we could have ever imagined. Ben Patterson, in his book, appropriately titled Waiting, he writes at the end about this idea of unanswered prayer. And he writes, actually, a poem uh, that was found from a Civil, civil War veteran, uh, one who had been severely injured in battle. Um, debilitating injury, um, spent the rest of his life just kind of suffering with that. And at the end of his struggle, he wrote this. I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might obey. I asked for help that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing I asked for. All that I hoped for. My prayer is answered. Would you bow your heads with me? You might find yourself this morning in life's waiting room. And it might be a particularly difficult time of waiting for you right now. Here's what you need to know. You can be patient because God is not absent. You can persevere because God is not angry. And you can pray because God is not apathetic. He cares for you right in the middle of it all. And if you find yourself today in life's waiting room and it's hard and you don't see an end in sight and you're not sure what's going to be happening next, 
and you could use some prayer, I would love the privilege to pray for you today. And if that describes you in any way, and we could pray for you as we close, I'm going to ask you to do what we give opportunity to do every week. Just raise your hand and look up so I can acknowledge you and say, I'm praying for you. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 maybe you're here today and you don't know what it is to have that relationship with God, the God that you can call on. Maybe, maybe you've been living your life trying to figure this whole thing out by yourself. It comes to a point you realize you were never meant to do this on your own. You were meant to live in a relationship with him. And today, are you ready to take a first step of faith? And it's simply acknowledging your need. That's really what it comes down to. It's a willingness to admit God I can't do this on my own. I've made enough mistakes and enough failures to know that for a fact. And I know that I've got sin that has junked up my life and separated me from a relationship with you. And what I need is your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy. What I need is your life in me. I am willing to turn over the controls of my life to you. And you've never done this before, but today... You're ready to take a first step of faith, a willingness to give up and to put your life in his hands. If that describes you today, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Take a first step of faith and just indicate that by just raising your hand and holding it up for a moment. Catch my eye so I can see you and pray for you. Yeah. 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 I'm going to ask you to join me in this prayer. Lord, here I am with my struggles, my hurts, my failures, my mistakes, my sin. I find myself in a place that I didn't expect, but I know I need you. Lord, some of us pray in that prayer. We made this our commitment years ago, but we're at a particular point of need, and we're just saying, God, would you give us the strength to endure? Would you give us the patience to, to remain under and would you intervene in our situation in a way that only you can some of us here have raised a hand saying this is a first time step for me but for all of us our prayer is Lord we give up we are putting our lives in your hands we are asking you to forgive redeem restore and renew put your life within us grow our faith as we learn to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. You may